Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey everybody, Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast, and today we have a very special guest and good friend of mine, Ryan Payne. Ryan, uh, you may know Ryan from his podcast, uh, Pain Points of Wealth, that he does with his uh, father, Bob, and his brother, Chris. Absolutely amazing, talking about all things, uh, really personal financial anecdotes and and tips and how you can think through uh, growing your own personal wealth. He is also a regular commentator on Fox Business, and today we're going to get into wealth building and how you can think about building uh, ultimately your personal wealth as a private practice owner. Thank you so much for being here, Ryan. Hey, Chad, it's always a pleasure, man. It's great to see you through a Zoom screen, almost as good as in real life. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not that far away, right? N- New York and uh, Harrisburg, a couple hours away, right? I've made the drive, man. It's like you definitely transform into a different universe when you, when you make it out there in the dead of winter, for sure. But, <laughs> uh, but not that far in the scheme of things. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, great. So, Ryan, you uh, recently presented at one of our events um, at Breakthrough. Can you talk through, like, uh, I know the thing that stood out to me is some of the uh, questions that were in the audience um, that people are, were asking. And I'll, I'll give you the, I'll set this up with a storyline that most of us are going through as practice owners. So we go to school, we get a degree, we come out. Many of us are jaded. So we decide to, you know, change the world and bring our own brand of care and treatment into the world. We decide to open up and practice. We're building that, you know, we sacrificed 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years, um, was just on with an owner this morning. That was 43 years in practice. And eventually, you know, we, uh, want to wind up our equity. And I know that's, uh, in Orlando, you ended up going down that path quite a bit and providing some well-needed advice within our industry. So we have that, um, event. And there is some planning that can go into that event as we're we're building wealth um, over time and ultimately exiting, taking some chips off the table. Um, can you talk a little bit about as you're advising and working with your clients and they're going through that, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that you, you run into? Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, it's a really good question to ask because and I, I have my own business, obviously, so... I'm an entrepreneur. I worked at a big firm and then I went out on my own. Same thing. I was like, hey, I can do this my way. I can do it better. Um, and we work with a lot of entrepreneurs because of that, because I think we're kind of all on the same page, right? And I think, you know, the biggest issue is as we build our practice or build our business or our firm or whatever type of business you have, is it becomes our biggest asset, um, becomes a huge asset uh, in terms of what, what our total net worth is. And everything's dependent on that asset generating income, but no pressure, right? So I, I think that is a big deal. And I think with entrepreneurs, a lot of times, you know, we are maybe a little overconfident. That's why we go into business for ourselves. Um, and we do believe that we can we can do anything. And I, I think one of the things I think about along the way when I try to advise our clients with is, you know, is essentially build this war chest over here, you know, continually save as the money comes in, put something away. So when you're at the point when you want to sell your practice, it's not like the whole world's predicated on it, right? And the pressure of the world's not there because if you saved over here, 
Um, and you have a solid foundation, it just puts you in the driver's seat with the decisions you want to make about your business, or I'll call it like optionality, right? So it's not like you have to sell your business at all costs at a certain date because you didn't put money away along the way. And, and I think from a psychological standpoint, I even my personal net worth, um, it's something that I've, you know, systematically continually done because it just takes less, less, more pressure off your business uh, and the decisions you have to make about your business. Because we don't want to make this decisions under duress and we've all done in our business before. Um, and it never turns out great when you have to do it that way. So, so I think that's one of the key things as you're building your practice is like get a plan to make sure every year as you have cash flow coming in that something just goes away for the long term. It's kind of common sense, but I think a lot of us forget to do that as we're building our practices. Awesome. Lo love that and can very much appreciate what you said there about uh, being desperate in the heat of the moment and having to make a desperate decision because we didn't plan ahead. Love it. Um, so, okay. So we take, you know, five, 10, 50% of our income, we're systematically putting it away. What are some of the, um, the, the ways when you're working with your clients, of uh, what are we doing with that money? Is it going into, uh, Roth? I know at least in Orlando, you, you gave quite a few options and went through the advantages, disadvantages of each. If you can give like the top one or two things and just briefly summarize that, that would be awesome. Well, I think the first thing is simplicity over complexity. Um, the one thing when it comes to investing, I find that the more straightforward, the more common sense the strategy, uh, the higher odds is going to work. And you know, the one advantage you have as a business owner running your own practices is you have a lot of flexibility with what type of type of investments you can set up or type of plans you can set up. So I think first and foremost, you know, setting some sort of retirement plan up for your business. Uh, is a huge first step. And the nice thing about it is, depending on how aggressive you want to be, a lot of times you can do typically more than a normal employee of a business can do. Like if you're an employee of a business, depending on how old you are, you can put in an employee contribution and maybe get a match. Uh, but when you own your own practice, and depending on how many employees you have, you can get pretty aggressive. And there's a lot of ways to fine tune it so you can get even more money away than the normal limits. Um, in a retirement plan. So I, I think, you know, first and foremost, I'd look to set up a plan for your business. Um, and then the question becomes, and I won't get like too wonky about this, but typically you have the choice where you can get a nice deduction up front to put money away in a plan. And depending on how much income you're generating in a certain year, it'd be good to get that deduction up front, right? You're putting money away off the top of your business. You're not paying tax on it. It goes into a tax deferred account. Um, that's what a typical 401k looks like with the idea that you'll pull the money out later. And ideally it's when you're not working, you're in a lower tax bracket. However, I'd mentioned right now, your know, tax rates in general are very, very low historically. They're at some of the lowest levels they've ever been. So it might be worth putting the money into a plan after tax, not getting the deduction up front, but putting it into what we call a Roth 401k, where the benefits on the back end, money still grows tax-free, but later on retirement, you take all that money completely tax-free as opposed to paying taxes on it then. And you know, depending on how you run your business, if you have a lot of deductions going through it, your marginal bracket might actually be relatively low. Um, so I, you know, I, I, especially with younger practitioners, I find this all the time with a lot of our younger clients, a lot of times we, we say, let's do a Roth contribution as opposed to a regular contribution. You don't need those deductions that badly. So I think that's a good place to start. 
um, is setting something up for your business and just getting in that habit. Cause you know, you can have the money come right out of your payroll. It's like, you're not thinking about it. It's like an automatic savings plan that like, you know, habitually getting into those type of things is just huge. Cause you blink a couple of years go by and you're like, Oh my God, I have all this money in this plan now, which is great. Yeah. Simplicity over complexity. Love that. I think that was our soundbite. Well done. Um, yeah, that was great. Um, the, so quick disclaimer for everybody here. Um, I, I did work directly Madden and Gilbert PT, hundred plus employees. We did work with, uh, and we've worked with pain management for years. So, um, I am very biased as well, um, with Ryan and, uh, in, in terms of how you think about specifically how you think about, um, the 401k plan, simple IRA, et cetera. Um, can we take a step back for a second and, uh, how'd you get into advising on wealth building and, uh, financial aspects of, yeah. How, how'd you get into this? Well, I mean, with a name like pain, you know, pain management, I've been a great chiro- chiropractor maybe another <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been perfect. Uh, and I love those, uh, videos of people getting their backs cracked. I know it's, I, I digress, but I think that's it's like the best content on, on Instagram. <laughs> but anyway, uh, how did I get into the business? So, uh, my father was in the business for many years. He, he worked at Merrill Lynch, a big firm, um, and ended up going out on his own, doing a consulting business where he actually trained advisors in the industry. Not dissimilar to how you help uh, key firms with their marketing and, and ways to think about best practice management, similar with financial advisors throughout the industry. Um, I actually ended up getting in the business after he was out of the business, uh, working at Merrill Lynch, uh, which is now owned by Bank of America, has a very small footprint now, but back in the day it was a big brand. Um, it was growing my practice and you know, one of these things where my dad wanted to get off the road. He'd been on the road now for a couple of years. Um, was thinking about getting back into practice as, as a wealth advisor, financial advisor. And we just felt that the independent model, um, kind of like you said in the beginning, it sounds like you get out of PT school and you realize like you have your own ideas about how to do things and maybe a better way to do things. Well, we felt that way about financial planning. It's like we used all our own processes. We were doing all our own research. Um, I think we just generally had that entrepreneurial spirit where we like to really think deep about the economy, the markets, how to design portfolios, all that stuff, you know, all, all the like common sense things to apply. And we just realized, well, our, our ideas are better. Um, maybe it's delusional, but you know, point is we decided it was good. You know, we could do it on our own. Um, so we started our practice 15 years ago. It would be July and 15 years in July. Now this was in 2008, the summer of 2008, which is interesting because that's right before the great financial crisis. Um, so we, I left Merrill Lynch in July of 2008. Now by September, they were basically out of business or they were bought by Bank of America, essentially as a bankrupt entity. Now it could just be a coincidence but I do suspect me leaving Merrill Lynch bankrupt the whole firm. <laughs> okay, that's not true. But, <laughs> but the point is, uh, it, it happened at a really, really interesting time um, because the world kind of went in disarray once we started our firm, which actually ended up being very good because people needed advice at that time. You know, I ended up bringing 98, 98% of my clients, but who's counting? Um, but it was a great start because you know it was a time when the world was blowing up and people needed a lot of advice. So uh, we've been for 15 years, we're one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. Uh, we manage about a billion dollars right now. Um, that's going up exponentially. And it's just the same process as we've been using now 
Um, really, some of them really avant-garde processes. My dad started back in the 80s, um, and we've just fine-tuned it now over a couple decades. Um, and you know, at this point, still just love the business. We love the fact that we're still fine-tuning what we do and thinking about it, you know, every day. And I think that's like kind of keeps keeps us both like really energized to continue running the practice. Very cool. Love that. Um, can you talk about your unique viewpoint, your your formula, your recipe? You know, whatever the anecdotal tips or wisdom is, you know, around diversification or how to think about the market, because I know for many uh, of our friends that we talk with, you know, they're constantly watching uh, whatever the ticker is or the the equivalent today, but they're, you know, they're so focused on pricing and like, is something a good buy or not, or did did they miss out on Bitcoin or whatever it is? Can you talk about some of the principles that you have? Um, specifically for your firm? Yeah, I think first off, wealth creation is really boring. <laughs> you know, it's it's the opposite of like, you know, they have shows like CNBC, like Fast Money, and you're talking about like what stocks you like, this and that. And I, I think creating wealth is, is really counter to that, right? Because think about like, and practicality, it's like, if you start your PT business today and you do X amount of revenue, and ideally, you know, you go listen to Chad Mann's podcast for a couple of years, you learn how to market your business correctly, um, and all of a sudden it grows tenfold. Um, ten years from now, uh, you know your business is probably worth a lot more money than it is when you started. Um, and I think that's what we forget when you invest in places like the stock market. You're buying businesses today that what you're hoping is that they grow out their revenue, um, they grow out their their profits over a period of of many years, and those businesses worth a lot more in the future. <clears throat> so you know, and the only differences between your PT practice and the stock market is your PT practice isn't really valued every second of the day. <laughs> you know, and it, it, where, you know, or real estate's a great example of that too. It's not like if your house was on the stock market where you could see the price every day, you you would have bought your house maybe 10 times over <laughs> over the course of a, a couple of years. So it's no different. The only difference is when you talk about capital markets is, is you see the prices every day. But conceptually, you know, the reason that you want to buy the stock market or any business is for the long-term benefits. Um, and just like if you own a business, you take in profits, uh, the nice thing about owning stocks is they, they pay out their profits in the form of a dividend every year. And what people don't realize over time is it's not the ups and downs of the market is where you create your wealth. It's the fact that those profits pay out every year. You get them as a shareholder in the form of a dividend and you keep reinvesting them. And as that company grows, you know, their cash flow over time, those dividends increase over time. And it's like a snowball effect. In fact, if you look at historically the S&P over the last 100 years or so, it's something like 40% of your return is just the dividends. It has nothing to do with markets going up and down. Um, and I think that's the hardest part for most investors to get their, wrap their head around is it, it's, it's really about compounding cash flow. Uh, you know, it's, it's this cliche thing to say, but Albert Einstein talks about uh, compounding your money is the eighth wonder of the world. And it's really about compounding. Um, it's a very boring long-term process, but it's so effective long-term. And that's what most people have the hardest time doing um, is keeping their eye on the prize and compounding their money over the long-term and getting those long-term benefits. Awesome. With a tangent. Yeah. No, no, that, that, you nailed it. Um, the, so for most of your clients, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, and it, especially those that are entrepreneurial, have their own practice, they're building worth over time, systematically investing. Um, 
there are a few key things. My guess is one wealth transfer, which was very much on my mind with six children thinking about that. How do we relay that? Um, taxes, because we all want to pay zero taxes, even though historically we're doing much better than we've done, let's call it 80 years ago, um, when you had one tax bracket that was nearly 100% or if it wasn't 100%, right? Um, it, yeah, so that. Um, is there anything else that we're missing there and we can go down whatever path you you end up addressing and advising them the most? Yeah, well, first off, um, you know, move to Puerto Rico tomorrow and you'll be good on taxes. You'll have to pay taxes if you can. You'll, you'll have to live on that island for the rest of your life, but it, it's going to be great. No, no, in all seriousness, I, I think the two main things are before even taxes, and I think this is the biggest mistake that I see every investor make, um, especially when someone has a liquidity event, is risk management. Um, you know, and people don't realize the risk that they're actually taking. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can be like, well, this was great for 10 years. You just need one bad year for something to blow up and your whole strategy to be pretty much you know, uh, you know, shot to pieces. And I think a lot of people felt that last year because, you know, if you look at the last decade, um, we had an anomaly in terms of the S&P 500 dramatically outperformed other indices. Um, you had big tech names outperform everything else, but people don't realize the decade before, had you bought the S&P 500, you, need, you made no money for like 13 years. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think people don't realize you know, when they like, look back I think we look in the rearview mirror, we don't look back far enough to realize um, that there's a lot of inherent risk in in markets. And I think most investors don't prepare for all the risks that could potentially happen. Um, So there's a lot of ways to screw it up from a risk perspective. And the other thing is, once you've made your money, you just don't want to screw it up. (laughs) Like You don't need astronomical returns. And that's always my argument. It's kind of like, yes, you could put into this riskier strategy and you can make 10% a year. Yet you only need 5% a year. And let me guess, if you had 10% a year, you probably wouldn't spend that money anyway. You know what I mean? It wouldn't affect your lifestyle. You're probably going to live your life a certain way. However, if you have one bad year with your risky strategy and your portfolio goes down 50%, that can drastically reduce the lifestyle that you actually want, right? And and I think that's one of the the scariest things. And I think that's where most investors get it wrong. Um, and ironically, for those that saved, did a great job saving and maybe have a liquidity event down the line, you don't need a big return on your money. Um, don't screw it up. And I think that's what people pay us for is I, I'm not there to like give you alpha on your portfolio. And I've got some secret uh, inside information on how to like, you know, game the stock market. Um, if I could do that, I'd be on my yacht. I wouldn't be talking to you anyway. Uh, just kidding. I don't want to talk to you, Chad. But, no, but the point is... <laughs> But the point is, um, at the end of the day, it's like, look at the return you actually need on your money over inflation, because that's the one thing you're solving for is your, your cost of living is going to double over the next 20 years. So sitting in cash really isn't a good long-term option because over time, your purchasing power is getting eaten away. That's why investing is a necessary evil. Um, look at what that return is and look at what's the highest odds of me getting that return. How do I allocate my portfolio so that like, no matter what happens, when the world blows up, I'm the most protected because it's not getting all the upside. It's really not losing as much on the downside when you look at returns because they ha- they call it the paradox of return, right? If your portfolio goes down 50%, if you go up 50%, you're only halfway back to where you were. You need your portfolio to go up 100%, right? 
right? It's like even a Bitcoin now at 30,000, everyone's like, oh my God, it's had a great run. But yeah, but if you bought it at like 69,000 or whatever, you got a long way to go. <laughs> you know, even though it's up like whatever, 80% this year, whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So, so I think it's really about protecting the downside. And then one other thing I'll say about that is, is taxes. What is now what you make, it's what you take. And there's so many simple, not fancy, like I set up um, accounts in, the, in Bermuda uh, to avoid taxation. There's so many simple tax tweaks that you can make. Um, you know, we just talked about you know making making Roth contributions, but there's so many little tweaks that you can make from a tax perspective that add up over time. That can be like hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not going in the IRS's pocket. They're going in your pocket by just being smart about how you structure your investments. And again, it's not these fancy like, um, you know, you hear about these accountants that can, you know, we're in, we're in a certain organization where we're talking about these these nomad accounts that can set up accounts in all these different countries, and you know, you're gonna, <laughs> you know, pay an accountant a hundred thousand dollars and you save fifty thousand dollars. But they're just simple tweaks you can make along the way, and that's the kind of stuff I'm always thinking about. What what simple tax strategy can you implement here so you can get less return on your money, but more money in your pocket? Where Versus getting like a really high rate of return on your money, but you're paying lots of tax and you have less money in your pocket, right? Just simple things like that. Yeah, I, I would say for at least our listeners, our podcast listeners that I know that are practice owners, we, we tend to be very conservative, not risky. Um, many do systematically save over time. We are usually typically working towards a, a, a finish line of a payday and exiting our practice at some point. Yeah. I mean, we can't do, you know, provide treatment and care forever. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, the, the other thing that I'll say is many of the practice owners that I've talked with and that have exited successfully, there's usually some sort of, uh, pay it forward legacy, you know, goodwill, charity, foundation fund, whatever you want. So some sort of impetus to uh, reinvest back in the community. Um, Lot, lot of different ways we can go there. So you, you did the wealth transfer, taxes, risk management. Anything else? Um, I know I actually went through you know your intake form very recently, uh, so it's very fresh. Is there anything else that that typically comes up when you're working with you know a healthcare service based professional and planning um, planning their exit, planning their retirement for the day when they can no longer provide treatment? Any any other hiccups that are coming up there, Ryan? Um, well, I think, I think you're a testament to this. I think planning sooner is better than later. Um, so even if you feel like you're, you're earlier in your journey, uh, the earlier you just start thinking about your wealth planning. And some of these things is like, I don't think people like to do it, obviously. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, and I don't know if it's the same thing with, oh, going to physical therapy sometimes can be a bummer. Um, maybe what? not. I don't know. <laughs> That's no, amazing. It's always great. It's always great. <laughs> so, so I feel like financial planning is a little bit of that too, because it's like, okay, I have to really think about what do I spend every year? And maybe I don't want to know what I spend every year. Um, and, you know, but it's so therapeutic to go through the process of just looking at like, okay, here's what I spend. And I mean, I always joke, but like in our office, we have a couch that looks like a therapist couch. And that's where we put uh, people for their intake or whatever, because it is like financial therapy. Um, you know, we run through all the numbers, like, okay, like getting an idea, what do you spend every year? Um, what are you making every year? And, and really just painting that picture of, of what's going in the door, what's going out the door. But once you get a grasp of that and we get control of that, then we can 
then we can plan. And then when you start planning and the earlier you do it, uh, again, a lot of these creative, just simple tech stack, just the difference between, oh, maybe I should do a rough 401k as opposed to a regular 401k um, and set up that plan. They're, they're easy to set up if you're a small practice, right? It's really easy and you can set them up cheap. Um, and that's the other thing I would be very careful about too, if it's just cost. Um, you know, my business is so good at hiding fees, so good at it. Um, so really getting an understanding of what you're actually really paying, I, I think is important as well. So you, you design the plan, think about uh, what you're going to, what you're going to need later down the line. Um, I'm kind of jumping around a bit. Let me go back to that point for one more, one more time, because I think when you invest your money, what happens in my business is people tend to just sell you products. And we, we always call it, you have a collection of investments because the broker or the quote unquote wealth manager, who's really just selling you insurance, um, <laughs> what they're doing is just, they're selling you a product that you're just buying and has no context to your goals. And this is what I see. I mean, we probably see more, we probably do more proposals almost any from the country. I mean, we do probably like 50 a month. Like I know every strategy out there. I know what every firm pitches and I know why they pitch it. And I think one of the biggest uh, downfalls in our industry is is you get sold out of product, whereas what you want to do is you want to get that plan first. You want to figure out, here's when I'm going to be financially independent. Here's what I'm making now. Here's what I'm spending. Let's reverse engineer um, what it's going to look like you know, with inflation, um, what you have to account for. And then let's say, okay, now we know where you're trying to get to. Let's design the portfolio and everything we invest to go right back in direct proportion to your goals. To me, there's it's it's almost like a doctor can't make you can't make a diagnosis uh, at your PT firm unless you do the X-ray first. You're looking at the holistic, and our whole industry is based on selling product and not doing that first. And it's almost like you sit down, and that's what it is: it's a hodgepodge of investments that people have that has no correlation to their goals. And it's so critical. And the sooner that you get on that and make, and that's when you know if you're sitting down with a financial professional, put that in quotes. Um, and they're not asking you about your goals first, don't walk away or run <laughs> because you can't make it, you can't make a really honest, good recommendation if we're not factoring into your real financial plan. That's great. You, you brought up a phrase there, Ryan, financially independent, just for, I'm actually generally curious about this personally, but, uh, how, how do you define that when you're working with your clients? Yeah, I almost steer away from retirement now because number one, I think younger people get offended <laughs> and even, even some boomers that are really, uh, you know, hard charging, like they never want to say I'm retired. What does that mean? Um, I think financial independence to me means, and I, and I want to use this not in a lewd way, but it's kind of like having that FU money, which you, you yeah. appropriately said on my podcast is fun money. Fun. Um, yeah. so you want, <laughs> you want to have it. I think you want to be in a position where you're working because you want to work, not because you have to. And I think that's the position we all want to be in. Because I, I feel like too, with with PT owners, and yeah, I had a great time hanging out with everyone at your conference. And you're right. And I think it, it is a group of people, your group of people that do generally like to help people. Um, and and I think you know it comes from a place of like you know doing things more holistically in a world where we just love to medicate people and and do surgery immediately. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think you know I think and this is from my viewpoint is I think we look at physical therapy more and more as people get more holistic with their health as the first stop, not not the doctor, not the surgeon. Um, and, you know, what I what I think about that is, um, I just lost my train of thought. What were we talking about again? 
I did the same exact thing at almost the same exact point on, uh, on pain points of wealth. Um, we were talking about the definition of financially independent and the that you yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, let's go there. So, um, yeah, so, so I think, I think what the, the bottom line is, I think if you love what you do, um, and you want to continue to be doing something that's, that's not necessarily because you have to put the lights on. I, I think that's everyone's dream is to be able to have that war chest over here that you can live on and you can kind of do what you want to do, not doing things because you have to do it. And let's face it all as business owners, we all do things that we have to do that we don't want to do. But when you hit financial independence, it's really about focusing on the things that you love to do. And if that's just giving back, that's just helping people. Um, that's like a beautiful place to be. And I think that to me is the definition of financial independence. Love it. What, for um, practice owners that are listening to this right now that are interested in going through your uh, assessment, can you talk about what you do? I know there's a you have a threshold, but you have a very specific intake process of, about where you talk. Uh, with the owners about your goals. Well, I didn't even ask, are you working with anybody else at this point? I know you, you have you have clients in from New York to San Francisco and everywhere else in between. Um, how do they do that? How do they, if somebody's listening to this right now, they want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you, Ryan? Um, I think the best place to go is just our website. You can just go to bebullish.com. That'll take you to our podcast, but also to the the overall website. Um, and give you a breakdown of what the review looks like. Um, but I think we can kind of paint the picture of the whole idea is to do a review with us or any um, financial professional is is really just about doing the work up front. Um, and I think that I and just a knock on my industry, but I think a lot of um, if I you know a lot of people might are lazy and they don't want to do that work up front. But I think it's really critical. Uh, to do the work up front of just like mapping out like what do your expenses look like? Okay, where are all my assets? What do I actually own? Let's break down what I own. Um, let's look at it holistically in one place and let's hone in on like um, how everything kind of lays out and let's like, let's put that, let's juxtapose that next to our goals and let's ask ourselves like, is this really in line with what I'm trying to achieve? So it really just starts again with doing that upfront financial planning work and starting to really delve into like, what is the data financial independence? How much money am I spending? How much money am I making? How much have I saved? And am I doing the most tax efficient manner? Great. And that's for all of our listeners. We'll put uh, the link in the show notes, but it's be bullish. That's B-E-B-U-L-L-I-S-H.com as in be optimistic about your investments, right? <laughs> Hey, optimistic it's gone America, yeah. global economy. There's not a there's not a lot of rich uh, pessimists uh, in the world of investing. <laughs> yeah, uh, M- Michael Burry, and that's about it, right? Um, the and I'm not I'm not even sure that's true. The uh, so great one of the uh, the my favorite things about being on your podcast is uh, your last question, which was and I'm paraphrasing here most transformative uh, album that influenced you in your life. It was something like that. So am I close? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great question. That's, yeah, yeah, that is a, that is a great question. So uh, I already know your answer because I asked you, so we're going to change it up a little bit. I'm a reader. So we're going to go book most transformative, most influential book that 
that changed and influenced the way that you think. Fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. Wow. Okay, that's that's a really good question. Um, I probably have one for business and one just on like, I guess, that I just enjoyed on a personal level. I'll take them both. You'll take them both? Jeez. All right, well, for business, the one that I like, I'm trying to remember the name of it, which is sad, I can't remember it, is... Um, what is it called? It's the one, oh man, I can't remember. book. That's the problem. Do you know the author? Like, it's about working on your business, not working in your business. It's not the e-myth either. It's another one. It's like a oh. simpler book. Oh, Built to Sell. Got it. Warlow, John built- Warlow. That's it. And I just yeah. don't speak one time. Um, It was a great book because I think probably a lot of, practitioners in the PT space. It's like a lot of financial advisors are cutting hair per se. Um, and that book really changed my mindset about building a business like a, with a repeatable process where, you know, I was doing more of the business development and you know, we could create processes where if you talk to any advisor, paying capital management, they got the same exact philosophy that they got the same investment portfolio in, in the sense that it was tailored to them, but with the same investments. And you know, everything was streamlined across the board. Even our, our, our proposal desk is almost like, a you know, an assembly line. So that really changed my, my view of being an entrepreneur. And I think it made the business a lot more fun because I think thinking about the big picture and doing things on a bigger scale, um, you know, almost thinking about yourself like a big retailer, like a Starbucks or something, it, you know, it's kind of liberating in a lot of ways. Like, oh, I don't have to actually um, you know, make the coffee, like Howard Schultz is in, in the back making the coffee, you know, he's gotten a lot of, uh, heat these days, but if for other things, um, but you know, but I think that that concept is great and it really, really did help me change my view of my business. So yeah, great one yeah. built to sale. Awesome. And, uh, built to sell. And what was the other, the nonfiction book or the, uh, fiction book? I think it was. To Whom the Bells Toll by Henry. Oh. Right? I don't know. I love, I love that book. I just think it was the idea of like, can you have a, a full life like within a couple of days? Or, I think that was the concept of it. This way I read that book and I just thought it was like such a cool concept. And I like the way he writes like that very simple kind of stark style. So very into that. that that's great. Um, I Have you ever visited the house down in the Florida Keys, the Hemingway house? Yes, which is cool with all the cats. Yeah, the the six-toed cats and his writing room uh, out back by the pool. That that was awesome. But uh, so built to sell and for him the bell tolls. Awesome, man. Well, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, this has been great. And uh, good luck on your, your trip to San Francisco, man. It's exciting. Thanks, Jack. Great to be here, brother. Are you a practice owner with a growth mindset? You're looking to grow your revenues, leave a bigger impact, build a legacy, and help more people in your practice, yet at the same time, you're dealing with the big challenges and headwinds like declining reimbursements, increased cost of doing business because of inflation, how to incentivize your staff, or deciding where's the best place to run your online ads. Growing a practice can be absolutely overwhelming. To help, Breakthrough has put together a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast can schedule a risk-free growth consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. On that call, you'll walk through what you're currently doing in your practice, 
and what you could be doing to increase the demand for your services. Breakthrough's mission is to help people overcome their health challenges naturally. And the best way for them to do that is by helping private practice owners just like you through building more demand for your services. Go to breakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend the growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.